Thank you. That was gorgeous. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. It's wet outside. My name is Jackie Lewis, and for everyone who's visiting for the very first time, a special welcome to you and to everyone who's here on this wet holiday weekend. I'm glad you're here. Welcome home. If you are visiting for the first time, can you raise your hand? Because our ushers would love to come by and give you a card. And we want to clap for you, and thank you for coming. Here. Here, wonderful ones. And here. And here. Okay. Um, if you uh, like what you experienced today, we, we just want to welcome you to come back and hang out with us. Um, you can join us by simply going online and finding out about us and clicking, I want to be a part of it, and you can be a part of it. Or you can talk to some folks today after worship by the in line. Let's say hi to everybody online. Hello. A couple of things to share. Um, one is that today, uh, right after worship, 115-ish or so, there is a dance. We're going to get our dance on as we prepare for Pride Month, which, of course, we celebrate here like it's Christmas. Uh, it's true. So please come upstairs and shake your groove thing a little bit and also help us do some dreaming about Pride and think about ways we'd like to grow our program and keep it moving. So come upstairs, dance. Michelle Henley and Darren Johnston are hosting that party. Michelle, can I clap for you? Snap for... Stand up, Michelle. Woo! <clears throat> All right, and then secondly, I think you know that we've been really involved with the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, Rob has been uh, taking middle love and justice with him on Mondays in Washington, D.C. We're so proud of that, Rob. And our work with the Poor People's Campaign and Puerto Rico Rebuild are joining together in this next week in a weekend of action that starts on June 1. So there's action on Friday. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday this week, and that's on the website. So I hope that you will participate. Folks are going to Albany on Tuesday morning, um, this Tuesday, and then the next week, we're going to Washington, D.C. on the Monday, probably Bolt Bus. So if you're interested in going, see Rob, or check the website, and we'd love to have you come with us. Um, yeah, I could say more. Today is my wedding anniversary. I have been... I've been married to John for 13 years, lucky 13. Uh, the best thing that's one, well, yeah, best thing that's ever happened to me. Love you, babe. And on Tuesday, I will be 59 years old. Yeah, 59. And I, and I say that to you because that's the kind of stuff, like if I was a black church pastor, I'd say that every week. I'd be telling these kinds of announcements in the black church. But in this mixed view, it's true. Allison thinks I'm really funny today, but I am. But, but to be like, give an honor to God. Today is Sister Johnson's birthday. What I want to say to you is that, <laughs> Petal, don't laugh at me. What I want to say to you is that you're my family. And that's a family kind of announcement to let you know about my, my personal life. And I love you. I love you. Thank you so much for making a safe place for all of us. There are babies to be in the house, and babies have been had. Robin Bacher and Jeff had their baby girl. <laughs> Joel and Gabby had their baby girl. Carolina.
Christine is working on a baby girl. <laughs> Stand up, you guys. I don't know if everybody knows you're with child. Stand up, <laughs> and the husband stays in his seat. You is the two of you. Um, Yusuf and his wife had their baby girl. Partner. Is that it? Does anybody hear about uh, Alora and Jonah? Do they have a baby yet? Okay, we're on baby watch. I just wanted to get that on the table too. Everybody take a breath. Thank you, God, for all the babies in our house. Thank you for a place that loves children. And let us continue to worship God. Good afternoon. Please remain standing for the prayer of Thanksgiving. Dear God, thank you for getting us through another week. For some, it has been a time of joy and celebration, and for others, it may be a time of sorrow, anxiety, and waiting. And whoever we are in our lives and whatever we are going through, we know that you are always with us, and we say thank you for always being with us. On this Memorial Day weekend, we remember those men and women who lost their lives while serving in the armed forces, and we give thanks for them. We also give thanks for the men and women who continue to serve today, not just in the armed forces, but also in the men and women who serve as first responders in our community. We ask that you would keep, keep them safe. God, in this world where another school shooting occurred on Friday and the isms continue to divide this world, now more than ever, God, we need to hear a word from you. Be with us today as we worship together and we will be forever mindful to give thanks to you for all that we have and all that we are. Christ's name, amen. Amen.
is the part in worship where all the young people and the young at heart get to join me up on the stage. So I have different friends who even just walked in. Sarah and Eddie, you are welcome up here. I see Brooks coming. We Care Buddies are coming in our other door. Join me up here. Hi, Soraya. There we go, let's spread our blanket. Hi, Sarah and Eddie. If Sophie or Co-Emmy wanna join me, some of my new friends, they are welcome as well. Oh, yes, thank you for joining us. And Matthew's coming too. We are celebrating Pentecost still. If you were here last Sunday, we talked about Pentecost Sunday. It was a special birthday party for the church where we remembered that the Spirit descended or visited all the people that were gathered at the start of the church. So now we're in the season after Pentecost. And this season will go on for a while in our church year calendar. But today is special because it is Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday. Do you, are you feeling Trinity Sunday, Freddie? Yes, I heard you say something. <laughs> Trinity Sunday, we are remembering that we have one God, but that this one God we remember in three different parts. You can take like a special seat on the steps if you want. You can go back to mom. That's cool too. We're flexible. Trinity Sunday, three different parts. Three different parts, Freddie. Can you give me a three? You see some shapes out there? A three, like you know the three train. Freddie's a train expert. Three different parts, but God is still one God. Okay, gets kind of confusing. Rob will even break it down for us more in the sermon. But the part we want to remember today is spirit. So the three different parts, we have God as parent, God in Jesus, and God as spirit. And that is who we remember extra on Pentecost. Do you know a symbol or an image, a picture that we use to represent spirit? Do you know one? Sarah, Eddie, Soraya, anyone? Okay. Leslie, the dove, yes. <laughs> Leslie goes, the dove. Yep. Don't look right now, because I don't want anyone to fall off the stage, but when you're back in your seats, there's a dove stained glass window right at the top of the sanctuary. You can see it? Oh, good. So right at the top, even on a stormy day like today, there's still sunshine coming through that dove stained glass window. And that dove is a picture, a reminder of the spirit, kind of like the spirit coming down, maybe like a bird, like a dove might fly down and touch and connect to everyone, all different people, the Spirit coming to you just as you are. So I have a picture of this stained glass window, except it's kind of minimalistic right now. It's kind of different. It's a little subtle because it needs some color. It needs some vibrancy. It needs your ideas, your interpretation, your perspective of God as Spirit. So maybe you want to put some rainbows on here. Soraya is like a visual artist who like sells her artwork, so I can't wait to see what she does. 
Maybe there's going to be some squiggly lines or polka dots to show the movement of the spirit, like a bird. And then we're going to take them and make like a new stained glass window, a new collage of all your different versions of this dove as spirit. Are you down? Yes? You can join me on the mat with some markers, or we'll, we have plenty of the Just for Kids binders that have colored pencils. Give me your dove back at the end of today, and next week we'll have them on display in the social hall. Sound good? Okay, woo! Let's say a prayer together, friends. You can stand with me, and I do like your shoes, Koemi. Those are really nice. Keep them dry in the rain today. Let's say a prayer. Dear God, thank you for all the ways you show up. As parent, as parent in, Jesus, in Jesus, and in spirit like a dove. Help us show the many colors of your spirit. Amen. All right, as we sing Sia Humba today, we get you to a special moment afterwards. So we're going to clean up the blanket and stay right here. Let's sing. When I was a little person, my mother taught me to pray every morning when I woke up and every night when I went to bed. And she would tease me if I would not get out of my bed to pray. She'd say, girl, get out your bed. And she'd say, get on your knees to pray. Why? I know. She said, because God is big and mysterious. And when we get on our knees, we're letting God know that we know that God is bigger than us. I'm really fascinated by how political being on one's knee has become. Some people pray on their knees and people are like, ooh, look at that nice Christian boy. And some people pray on their knees and people are like, that boy is a rabble rouser. So what I'd like us to do today in the spirit of my mama and in the spirit of praying everywhere, is to pray on our knees. Are you ready? Will you pray with me on your knees? Come up here if you want to. <coughs> Come up if you want. Pray where you are and sit where you are and do whatever makes you feel good. But let's depoliticize praying on our knees. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's depoliticize it. Camille, right where you are. Good job, kids. Good cause. Let me know when you're ready. We're going to take a deep breath. My old 59-year-old knees are telling me to hurry up. <laughs> Let's get going. <laughs> Let us take a breath and pray. Holy friend, throughout all of time, we have found you to be such a holy mystery. As vast as the sky foaming in the ocean waves, 
waving in tree branches, sparkling in rainbows, warming us in fire. God, when you started showing us to you, we were like, wow, look at you, God. Look at you, wonderful God, in the stars and in the moon and in the seas. And then you came all the way down to us in the form of a teeny, tiny, vulnerable one, showing us, God, that we need each other to survive. We have to love each other and care for each other in order to make it through this life. And so on our knees, praying on our knees and kneeling in our hearts, God, in this posture of humility, we just say, touch us and touch our world. Make us a world, God, where there are no lost children, no unaccompanied minors, homeless looking for parents, sent off to work in horrible conditions. Make us a world, God, where every child, black child, brown child, Asian child, Hispanic child, white child, every child, Native American child, all the children are seen as precious and priceless and belong to each of us, God, and we do what we need to do to take care of them. Make us a world, God, where our seniors are not hungry. Make us a world where no one is snatched from their loved ones. Make us a world, God, where every life matters, where black life matters, where praying and protest is seen as an inalienable right, oh God, not to be squashed by people with power and money. Make us a world, oh God, where no one is hungry, where everyone has enough, where water is clean, where women's lives matter and their bodies are cherished. Make us a world, God, where Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands and all places devastated by storm are rebuilt in timely manners. And make us a world, God, where we take care of Mama Earth so the storms can stop raging. Thank you for the beautiful children in the midst of us that remind us of our own vulnerable selves and how much we need you, God, to survive. We pray blessings on all who mourn. We pray blessings on all who are sick. And we pray blessings on each of our bodies that our bodies will be used in service, God, of making your reign come on earth. Let your spirit enthuse us and inspire us and equip us to move in the world like love, like love, like love. On fire, God, for your justice. And when we pray your reign come on earth that is in heaven, let that be the rebellious cry of a people filled with love. In your many and powerful names we ask it. Amen. Amen. If you like me need to get up, woo, get somebody to help you. Come on, somebody help, help Auntie Jackie stand up. There we go. <laughs> Amen. And let's continue to pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Praying, ever-loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done.
God that surpasses our understanding to your neighbor and especially to those who are visiting with us. Peace be with you.
nerd terms means happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear Jackie Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according, accordingly to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of the adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then hears ears of God and joint ears with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let the church say amen for Tom reading scripture. I caught him off guard on the one Sunday he wasn't in a suit. I think he's ready to party later. Uh, good morning. Uh, wonderful uh, to be here this morning. If you would please uh, pray with me. All loving Spirit of God who stills our hearts in times of discomfort, brings us peace in surprising moments, whose arms we can feel right now around us giving us the courage and the strength to do all we need to do to be your people and you are God. Now may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord who is a rock, a liberator, and a redeemer. Amen. As uh, Marta mentioned this morning, the Sunday after Pentecost is called Trinity Sunday in the church calendar. And that's because, as you remember last week, something a little confusing happened. The Holy Spirit showed up. And the church uh, leaders in their wisdom said, well, we need an extra Sunday to start to make sense of this thing called the Trinity. Uh, and, uh, and, and what Paul is asking us today in this text is, in particular, how are we supposed to live our lives according to the Spirit? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that smell like? 
What's that taste like? To live according to the spirit that we experienced in Pentecost. Uh, growing up uh, for a little bit of time in, in Kenya, when I was a kid, I heard stories about uh, when the first white missionaries came to the continent, um, they were very forceful about that we need to uh, you know, uh, convince these people that there's only one God, uh, that monotheism. And uh, of course, it, what they didn't know is that in some of the groups, including the Kikuyu, uh, there was a form of monotheism already there. So it wasn't actually that big of a stretch. But what was really confusing to people was that uh, these Christians so insistent on monotheism actually had three gods. And we were supposed to eat one of them. Uh, which really, that whole cannibalism thing threw people for a loop. Uh, so I think it's okay to, to acknowledge that it's, there's some funkiness uh, and some strangeness to this faith and to this trinity. Uh, we walk in a fleshy faith. And so let's, uh, let's jump right in to see what Paul might have for us today. Uh, in the text, Paul is giving us contrasts in order for us to get the insights about the character of this spirit. He writes, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. What a beautiful contrast that is. Spirit of slavery and a spirit of adoption. Slavery being the act of owning another person. Adoption, the act of taking someone on as your own. Where slavery is being owned by someone. Adoption is being chosen by someone, becoming a co-heir with all the others in the family. They both describe a social contract of sorts. But slavery describes a relationship born in force. It is about power, control, subjugation, and ownership. And so we might have expected Paul to use something else as the opposite of the spirit of slavery, perhaps something like the spirit of freedom, the spirit of liberty. But instead he chose adoption as the antidote to slavery. And so today I want to talk about three things with y'all about this spirit of adoption that I think Paul is talking about and that I think speaks to today. The first is that the spirit of adoption liberates us from weakness and temptation. The second is that the spirit of adoption gives us power to resist idolatry. And the third is the spirit of adoption is how God gets us to practice our best selves as the heirs of God. So with this first point, I want to take a few seconds to clear up some murky theology that many of us, some of us may have been exposed to growing up. Family, when Paul speaks of the flesh, he is not talking about sex. I know it's disappointing. <laughs> uh, for those who thought this might be about sex this morning, if, for those who know me, I would have blushed the whole way through. Uh, it would have not been a pretty sight. Paul is not even contrasting, on one hand, the spiritual life of piety or two different natures of humans versus the spiritual life of piety or the sinful life of lust and licentiousness, a great Bible word. <laughs> Paul is certainly not talking about the mutual, consensual expressions of physical affection between people. And I really want us to understand this because the church has done a horrible job 
of helping us to understand this about our bodies. That our capacity to desire, our ability to give and experience pleasure is good. It is good and a gift from a living God. God made bodies. Bodies are good. Amen? Amen. God gave each of us the ability to desire, and that is good. God created our senses so that we might know pleasure and comfort in this world right now, right here, and that is good. Womanist theologian Sean Copeland in her beautiful book, Enfleshing Freedom, says that Jesus of Nazareth is the paradigm of freedom enfleshed, of enfleshing freedom. According to Copeland, the body of Christ is actually countersigned to the structures of domination. So if Jesus is condemning sin in the flesh, then the flesh itself can't be sin. Does that make sense? Yes. We there? All right. So if, if flesh is not sin, like we grew up, you know, you may have heard people say, you know, that's just him living by the flesh. I don't know if you all heard that anywhere, but... Uh, so if, if that's not what it means, then, then what does Paul mean by flesh? And I, I, I'd like to offer that it might be helpful to think about the word weakness when we hear Paul speak of flesh. Yes, weakness. Weakness being a person or thing that you are unable to resist or something that we like excessively. Or perhaps something that can lead us to finding meaning and worth in all the wrong places. We each have our weaknesses. In some ways, having a weakness is part of what it means to be human. So think about what your weaknesses might be. And I'm not just talking about trivial weaknesses like chocolate-covered, cream-filled donuts from Krispy Kreme, <laughs> banana pudding from Magnolia. Mm. It's the first banana pudding I ever enjoyed that wasn't uh, Miss Polly's from Chapel Hill, homemade, that I could actually eat. <laughs> Those aren't exactly the weaknesses that uh, we're talking about. Uh, those in the New Adventures group know that uh, we gave up uh, self-restraint for Lent. And, uh, every week, every, every month is a, is, a, is a feast of sweets. Um, but I'm talking about some of the hard things that are t the hard things to resist. And it's irresistible or it's difficult, it's different for each person, and it might be different each day. And more often than not, like Legion in the story of Jesus, it is many, many voices, many uh, weaknesses that can be speaking and countering each other in a single moment. For some, it might be jealousy, or self-doubt, or anxiety. It could be a need to know and control everything, fear of disappointment, fear of rejection, shame. For me, it would be depression. There's a weakness that can help me find a problem with any solution. <laughs> you give me a solution, I'll find a problem for it. <laughs> you tell me a good story, I'll tell you how it's going to end wrong. And, 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 and these aren't, that's why it's so important to separate these from sin, because it's not the depression that's the sin. It's that, that's actually, eventually, with God's help, that can be the source of your love. 
the source of your compassion. And so that's why we have to separate it. It's what becomes that negativity or that uh, where we start to order our steps according to those weaknesses. So let's see if it works in the text. Uh, so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to our weakness, to live according to our weakness. For if you live according to your weakness, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds that come out of weakness, you will live. And so here's an opportunity to employ the spiritual practice of nuance, which is not encouraged very often in our culture. <laughs> Paul is talking about weakness, not sin. They can really get along with each other, but they're not the same thing. Sin is what happens when we are governed by our weaknesses. My spouse Hershey uses the, the, the oh, what's, what's the thing where letters, thank you, you know it. Uh, S-I-N, self-imposed nonsense. Sin is what happens when we try to take control and cease to let God, or you can translate to love, direct our living and our being. Paul's reminding us God made you just as you are and God wants all of you. Weaknesses and all, all your curves and your sharp edges, all your perfect imperfections. <laughs> all right, y'all with me today. <laughs> Thank you. In fact, uh, weakness, vulnerability, and tenderness are not the bad things. Uh, when we quit being bound by them, God's help can become, they can become strengths. And so that brings us to the second point. Uh, what was my first point? <laughs> that the spirit of adoption liberates us from weakness and temptation. So the second point is that the spirit of adoption gives us the power to resist idolatry. So the, the, the flesh and our weaknesses in times of actually both comfort and trials... Uh, I had a friend who said that the biggest mistakes happen when we don't ask questions when things are going well. Uh, and both times can be those parts of us that can lead to the creation of idols. That's because idols are anything we try to use to give us meaning and purpose and worth outside of God, outside of love. One of God's first promises to Abraham was that God would be our shield and our protection. But the thing about a shield is that it doesn't do us much good until we pick it up. Instead, we tried to find other shields to protect our weak and tender places. We knowingly and unknowingly use money, status, careers, other people's opinions, race, class, status, patriotism, activism, and yes, even times church, to keep us from dealing with the pain of our deeper wounds. Theologian William Stringfellow would say these are imposters of God. The rest of us would call them idols. Because Stringfellow says idolatry means honoring the idol as that which renders the experience of the idolater morally significant, ultimately worthwhile. Idolatry, according to Stringfellow, is ultimately the worship of death. And the impact of idolatry is destructive both to the idolater and to the idol. When we idealize, idolize money, the true utility of money gets lost. When we idolize masculinity, it will inevitably 
become toxic. We can even do this to our children and our families so that we start worshiping the idea of people, of family members, instead of loving them and all their complications and funkiness as they are. So the spirit of adoption is liberating. But liberation is not the cheap form of one of America's favorite idols, freedom. It does not mean you get to do whatever you want. With liberation comes responsibility, accountability. Our inheritance gives us the ability to respond to the needs of those around us and the world. We are not free agents floating, but are yoked, to use the Old Testament term, to one another. The late Dr. James Cone says, ironically, and this is what, society, what white society also fails to understand, the man who enslaves another enslaves himself. Unrestricted freedom is a form of slavery. To be free to do what I will in relation to another is to be in bondage to the law of least resistance. This is the bondage of racism. Whites are thus enslaved to their own egos. Therefore, when blacks assert their freedom and self-determination, whites too are liberated. Dr. Cohn, who passed away a few weeks ago, wrote this 50 years ago. And what was true then, saying that black power is not antithetical to the gospel, but is the gospel. And reworked today, Black Lives Matter is not outside of Jesus' good news to the world, but is the good news. So yes, we are connected. At the trainings for the Poor People's Campaign in D.C., we uh, always try to make the point that we hope everyone is showing up for their own liberation. It's great to fight for other people's rights and for other people's situations, uh, but it's hard to trust someone who doesn't see the struggle for justice as a struggle for their liberation too. Because we are all heirs of God's freeing power, we are freedom heirs, heirs to a loving God who calls us to real freedom. So each of us has to see where we can get free, just as we move into collective liberation for all. And yes, our inheritance in all of this is love. And what's so revolutionary about the gospel message of Christ is that the very things the world sees as strength derives its power from things God says are weak. The very things the world sees as strengths derives its power from things God says are weak. So white supremacy comes from weakness of fear, the desire to dominate another. Male supremacy comes from the weakness of insecurity, the inability to resist asserting control. Consolidation of wealth and economic domination comes from the weakness of greed, the inability to resist money. And lust for power or people comes from weakness of shame and submitting to pride. And therefore, the gospel of Jesus is meaningless, unintelligible, and ripe for manipulation in societies dominated by empire. In particular, to those of us who were born into this system, this empire, uh, at the crossroads of intersectional race, gender, class, and other forms of identity that give some semblance of worldly power. And if we aren't able to, all these things are, the gospel of Jesus is meaningless, if we aren't able to see how we have been spiritually and morally malformed by the spirit 
of slavery. That our capacities to love and empathize are fundamentally undermined by being raised in places of power and empire. Jesus can't liberate those who don't know they need liberation, right? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm at my third point now. So the first two points, and I, was, I helped myself, I wrote it down uh, this time. The spirit of adoption liberates us from weakness and temptation. Second point was the spirit of adoption gives us power to resist idolatry. The final point is the spirit of adoption is how God gets us to practice our best selves as heirs of God. A few years ago, a book came out called Sapiens. I think it was an Australian author uh, that talked about, in a very interesting way, the, the history of evolution. And one story in there was about us bipeds, how we came to be. Uh, a couple million years ago, that the genus of humans uh, evolved to stand up on two legs so that we could use our hands more easily. We could create tools. You could see over the prairie more clearly. Uh, but part of the, what you lost was uh, the size of hips. So hips had to come together, and babies uh, coming out of smaller hips, uh, know, y'all know them better than I, Carolina, praying for you very soon. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the harder it is to get out. So those who had smaller babies started to live longer and were able to produce more infants. Now what that means for us is that we have some really useless infants. That when babies are born, they are completely uh, non-functioning for many years. And actually mostly non-functioning for many years after that. <laughs> If you see a horse being born, I know some of y'all watched the giraffe getting uh, on Facebook Live, they, they walk within moments. Uh, kittens start uh, scrounging for themselves within weeks. Uh, but babies are uh, completely dependent on those around them. And what they say is that, that actually that weakness that we thought of is actually what was a turning point for evolution because it proved to us and made us depend on one another. It made us have to be connected to one another. It made us have to create relationships that weren't based on transactions, but were based on transformation and love. When we open our heart without fear that anything will be lost, when we expand our circles, our thinking, our hearts, it is a net gain. We reject the notion of scarcity that there, because there is enough. Enough resources to make poverty history, to feed every person, make learning and safe environments a reality for all students, and pay workers a living wage. It is this expanded notion of family that brings people to both D.C. for this 40 Days of Action and the Poor People's Campaign, and to 39 states across the country each week. And I saw this spirit of adoption on Monday in D.C. in action. Uh, there was, uh, each week we have a rally and then people go participate in civil disobedience. And this past week they chose to go into the Capitol Rotunda and those who weren't participating stayed outside. And uh, at first it looked like a pretty small group. We were there to support, if people needed to go, they could go. But we were really waiting to see what would happen inside. And we saw right up against the Capitol building that they started where they were processing these 60 people that had participated, which now raises the number nationally over 1,000 people who uh, have done this. 
Uh, and so we, we run over there uh, and we see that uh, we'd already seen it in the rally that the spirit of adoption happening. We had generational Je Reverend Jesse Jackson, who was the mayor of the first resurrection city 50 years ago when Dr. King, uh, right after Dr. King was assassinated in the first Poor People's Campaign, speaking next to uh, fast food workers, speaking right next to ra rabbis, uh, to Chief Winsler of the Apache Stronghold Indigenous Groups. Uh, and then uh, as they moved in, they were singing and we could hear them, but then we didn't know. And then they, they, they tried to not uh, make it as uh, fantastical by not handcuffing anyone. And so what was beautiful is the 60 people started clapping, uh, which is a great way to um, use your hands. And we, all of us were standing outside, and as I said, it didn't seem like many of us at first. It felt like eight or ten people. But then when we started to chant and sing, all of a sudden, as if something that was invisible became visible, our group expanded. Uh, our group was bigger than we thought. Uh, and eventually we were loud and echoing off the Capitol. And before we know it, 20, 30, 40 police officers have come out of nowhere to come and talk to us about it. There's something about the spirit of adoption that can be dangerous, that can be insurrectionary. They, God helped, the, uh, helped us by making the guy's megaphone not work for a good two minutes so we could keep singing. Uh, but he finally said, he got the ball home work and said that we were now a demonstration and we need to go back to our permitted area. And so that's the spirit that a group of people who before were not a group, who were just bystanders watching what was going happening, all of a sudden get moved by the Spirit into something collective, something that makes us human uh, to our best selves. Because the Spirit of adoption is a bomb in Gilead for those who are led, maybe driven by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of love. But it can be a big pain in the butt for those in the system, uh, a system created by the Spirit of slavery. Spirit of slavery, which is the result and embodiment of living according to the flesh that Paul was talking about. Having our actions and our deeds and our lives ordered by those smaller impulses. It is the same, slave, it's the same thing that created the slave owner religion that our country was built on. The perverted sort of religion that includes all sorts of theological backflips that they had to do to try to say they were still Christian while enslaving other human beings. Where they had to create things about a baptism that kind of meant you were uh, now a Christian, but not really. And, you know, decades of something, what came out at the end of this uh, sausage making was certainly not Christian. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, but it's that same spirit of slavery that justified manifest destiny and colonialism. Same spirit of slavery that justifies systemic objectification we see of women, a culture where assault is normal. Same spirit that caused 30 white men just this week to sit in NFL's boardroom and decide that kneeling, as Jackie so eloquently put, one of the most sacred stances of reverence in our tradition and of many others is a crime. That's twisted. It's the same spirit of slavery that let the Justice Department put a tweet out on National Missing Children's Day while at the same time losing track of 1,500 kids at the border. And the chief of staff can say it was, it, it, say it was planned as a deterrent. That's some sick stuff.
that can only come from a spirit that is nothing less than death and death worship itself. So yes, we are all connected. My freedom is bound up in yours, yours and mine. God offers us membership in God's family, connecting each of us across difference through Jesus. God offers us the spirit of adoption. The text says when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs in Christ. We are freedom heirs, heirs to the kingdom of God, and what is our inheritance? It is liberation, it is love, it is life. We have been adopted through Christ. This adoption is liberation from death, from fear, from oppression, from subjugation. Liberation to being held captive by our weaknesses, from principalities, from white supremacy and heteronormativity. We are liberated from all of those things. And know this, that this spirit of liberation at the end, we often leave out the last part that says, if, if we, is the big if, Paul, uh, if we are to suffer with Christ. And even though liberation sounds good, it almost always begins with some hurt. You can ask Colin Kaepernick what's happened after he decided to live by the spirit of adoption and liberation. And so this spirit invites us to freely give ourselves to love, to love one another, to make new family that reconstitutes our identities, ones that is based on this love and freedom. It gives us meaning each day that we don't have to rework uh, weekly when we acknowledge our adoption is real. So let us set aside the murky theology, embrace the risky business of the spirit. Ernst Kasemann, a German theologian, argues that the text, those led by the spirit are children of God, is too passive and doesn't actually represent what Paul would say. A better interpretation would be those driven by the spirit those driven by the spirit of adoption. We have to open ourselves up to being driven by the spirit of adoption. And when you're driven by something, you don't know exactly where you're going. Uh, you just get in the car and go. And you let it, be, let it carry you away. We have to, with the amount of pain and suffering and the world turned upside down and the world, be willing to get carried away sometimes. Uh, and if not now, when? So let us get carried away in this loving spirit. Let us continue to be God's people, knowing that as heirs and co-heirs in Christ, we, have, we all have to share equally, that we have no more claim to this than anyone else, that even Christian hegemony is a blockage from the spirit of God working through us that is available to all, and to you. Amen. Hello, middle family. I want to share with you one of my favorite affirmations. God writes straight with crooked lines. I'll say it again for myself. God writes straight with crooked lines. We all have our hopes, our plans, and our expectations, but sometimes, well, that path just isn't what we expected it to be, or we find ourselves in a place that we did not expect to be in. And that's certainly the case for me. 
I joined Middle Church about five years ago, and during those five years, my path has been, well, crooked. Let me share two ways that applies to me. The first is about the word location. In the past five years, I've gone from living within walking distance of middle and showing up at about everything that happened to living in Jersey City and being subject to the path train schedule or lack thereof to living north of the city and trying to figure out what car cultures are all about. When I joined middle, I could be here in 10 minutes. Now it takes more than 90. With, with respect to the word resources, in the past five years, my finances have also wandered all over the place. They've gone from confidence to great uncertainty and now back to cautiously optimistic. When I joined middle, I was carefree financially. Now I pay a lot more attention. But through it all, these things have remained constant. This beloved community continues to rehearse living into the kingdom of God on earth and to love every person just as we are. This beloved community continues to work and care for the underrepresented, the voiceless, the poor, the immigrant, the sick, those in the margins, those that Jesus asked us to care for. This beloved community continues to grow locally, nationally, regionally, and internationally. Our example of compassion, faith, and inclusion resonates across the globe. Recently, in our Revolutionary Love Conference, over 100,000 people connected to us in one way or the other and connected to our community and our message. After trying to give in all sorts of ways, I've learned that for me, the best way that I can show up with my financial gifts is to give online weekly. Regular, consistent, predictable, showing up. Whether I'm in Connecticut caring for my family, or north of the city where I now live, or in North Carolina, one of the places I call home, or here as I am today, online giving allows me to show up for you, Middle Church. Please join me as we work to increase the number of community members that utilize online weekly giving. It's simple. I actually figured it out. Crooked lines mean we can't be, it means I can't be here in person as often as I'd like. But through my regular online giving, I'm able to show up regularly for you. And these gifts enable me to join you by way of our digital community right back there. Wherever I might be, and however crooked the lines might be. Thank you for listening and thank you for giving.
divided And somehow despite the damage done God says come There is room enough for all of us Please come And the arms are open wide enough Please come This is the heart of the one who stands before an open door and bids us come. Oh, the times when I have failed to recognize how many chairs are gathered there around.
join me in prayer. God, it is with gratitude that we give you who we are, we share what we have, and we show up for one another as we build our beloved community. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that a fantastic sermon that I preached? It was great. Hershey was smiling back there. She gave it the thumbs up. Amen. It's good. Listen, friends, um, two things. Uh, it's scary to actually be a Christian. It's actually a little scary to try to follow God into the world. Amen? Amen? I mean, whatever we call ourselves, whatever identity we live into, if we're trying to do the boldly loving thing, the justice thing, if we're trying to be radical in the world and stand up for what's right, 
people will pick on us and they will laugh at us and they might not hire us back to the NFL if we actually try little people to do the right thing, sometimes people will think we're wrong. Mm -hmm. So the Spirit of God is descended upon our hearts to give us boldness, to love outside of the box, to stand up for the weak people, to speak the truth in love, to say, ah, uh, no, that's not how it goes. To really live out our values every day all the time not just on Sunday morning, it's scary sometimes to try to follow God into the world. So I'm thanking God for beautiful exegesis from Rob today. I'm thanking God for a community where we get to practice our faith and try to be who we think we're called to be. We're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna get it wrong, we're gonna keep on trying to get it right, amen? amen. A community of grace and rehearsal, rehearsing the reign of God right now here on earth, that's what we're called to do. So uh, as I, Tammy and Jackie pick songs that I should read before I come, but they, uh, it's amazing how well they integrate into what we're talking about, that we're asking God to come nigh, teach us how to love. Teach us how to love. We try to have you back, Rob. Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, to teach us how to love and how to be um, open to seeing that God is near always. Uh, that is, can be overwhelming, what is happening around us. Um, and it may seem that something as old as uh, race in this country uh, is so deeply, intract un almost intractable, that it can't be underdone. But the same spirit that gives us the confidence that we can know one another is the same spirit that told Paul to close the same chapter by saying, uh, I consider the current sufferings to be nothing compared to the glory that is about to be revealed. It's the same spirit that gave him the power to say that uh, if God is for us, no one can be against us, and neither uh, life nor death nor angels nor demons and a whole long list of everything else you can imagine can separate us from the love of God. So let us have the confidence and the faith to know that even our greatest mistakes aren't bigger than God, even our greatest uh, sins as a community can never be bigger than God, uh, but that God in the spirit of love that moves through each one of you and us uh, is there to keep us from falling. So now please uh, let us let God dismiss us from this place, but never from God's presence as we move into the world to be God's people. Amen. And Rebecca wants you to move up to the dance floor. Yes. Amen. Yeah.